Luke chapter 8, verses 22 to 25. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marvelled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? Many families can look back to that one big family holiday that everyone remembers. Now, for the family that I grew up in, that, that's when we went up north. Uh, we went all the way to Cooktown, which not many people did in the 1970s. So I grew up in Gundawindi, and I don't know if it's still there, but there used to be a signpost in Gundawindi that pointed to, you know how some towns have those signs that point to all of the major centres? For some reason, Cooktown got a look in. And it, I remember it because it said... Cooktown was 2,222 kilometres, 2222. And I thought, wow, I've been there. I've been there. And not many people in town had. And there was lots of highlights on that trip. Um, but one of the highlights was when we visited Heather and Frosty McLean. They were cane farmers at, at Mackay that mum and dad knew. And Frosty said, do you want to go out fishing on the reef? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And um, he had quite a decent boat and um, he took us out onto one of the more outer reefs and uh, we did some fishing. And let me tell you, for, for a young kid from the bush, that was, that was really something. Even though I get seasick, that it was worth it. Um, even I caught fish and um, good fish. And we got to see fish of all different colours that I'd never seen before. And yeah. But anyway, while we're out there, a massive storm blew up. Um, this is well before the days where everybody had access to radars and all that sort of stuff, so you couldn't see it forming, and, and it, was, um, it wasn't at all forecast. It was supposed to have been a fine day. Anyway, we kids, we didn't know any better. Um, Mum and da- uh, They just sent us down below, and um, it was quite dark as we were heading back in again, and Frosty had to work that boat the whole way in, like he'd have to pull it back a bit while if there's a wave about to break onto the boat and then he'd have to accelerate to make sure he caught the next one and he just worked it the whole way through and we were just about hitting our heads down below every time the thing had bounce and I only found out in later years well we we kids we, we just trusted Frosty knows what he's doing it'll all be good I only found out in later years that that he was right scared he'd never seen anything like it in his life and he wasn't sure that we were going to make it back to the shore. So that's the image that I always think of every time I read this story of the storm on the lake. Jesus and his disciples were crossing Lake Galilee. At least four of them were professional fishermen, Peter, Andrew, James and John. So they knew the waters well. And the boat itself, it must have been a significant vessel because it, it only mentions the disciples and Jesus um, but even that's 13. 
people that were on board, but it probably included the women because they seemed to go wherever the, the others went. And, and it probably included the owner of the boat and the normal crew. Otherwise, how was the boat going to get back to where it, was, where it started from? But regardless of that, it was, it was a decent-sized boat and there was enough room for Jesus to lay down and have a bit of a kip. But as they were sailing and Jesus was sleeping, this massive windstorm comes up on the lake and the boat's being filled with water and they are in danger. And it's not what we landlubbers would consider danger. Like as soon as things start going, oh, I don't know what, I wouldn't know whether to feel safe or not. Uh, these were professional fishermen. They lived their lives on that lake. And they woke Jesus up. Master, master, we are perishing. Right? So I have no doubt this was a massive storm and that the danger was very real. And Jesus awoke and he rebuked the wind and he rebuked the raging waves and they ceased and there was a calm. Now, can you imagine that? If you're there in this boat, the, you're fearing for your life. You think we're about to get swamped by a wave and Jesus rouses on them. You there, wind, stop that nonsense. You waves, settle down. It's, it's like talking to a dog, you know, and it just stops, just like that. Instant calm. And the word fear isn't used in this story until now, but it's very well placed because when they saw what Jesus had done and the way that the winds and the waves just did that, they were right afraid. And it's the sort of fear that you have when you come face to face with a God of omnipotent, endless power. And they marveled. They said to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him? And, and throughout the Gospel of Luke, that very question has been building. Every time Jesus does an extraordinary miracle, we're, we're sort of left, well, yeah, an ordinary person can't do that. And this is going to continue to build right through until we get to Luke chapter 9, verse 20, when Jesus poses the question to his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, you're the Christ of God. And all of what we've been seeing, the miracles of Jesus, the healings and the power and the authority is preparing the disciples to see and to know that Jesus is indeed the Christ, the Son of God. Even the language that's being used here in the Old Testament, it's language which is applied to God. So Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves. In Psalm 106, it's talking about God when it says he rebuked the Red Sea and it became dry. In Psalm 89, it says, O Yahweh, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Yahweh, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Who stills the waves? Yahweh, God of hosts. C controlling the wind and the waves at, at a word of his command. That's something that only God can do. And so after Jesus had stilled the wind and the waves, he then says to his disciples, Where's your faith? And that's what today's Bible reading is about. It's about recognising who Jesus is 
And knowing the power that Jesus holds, the power over everything, the, the power to save us spiritually, the power over sickness and disease, the power over spiritual forces, the power over the physical world, and power over life and death. And because we well know this immense power that Jesus has, that means this is about faith. What do we believe? How do we trust? Now, for the disciples, by now, they should have already seen enough. They should have already known that Jesus is the Son of God because Jesus has been doing things that only God can do. And us, we, we have even more evidence. Our Lord Jesus has been raised from the dead. And on this, our faith stands. If Jesus can be raised from the dead, God can do anything. Now, some folk, when, when they read the scriptures, that they have a lot of trouble in believing some of these miracles. How could those ever have taken place? And, and they look for natural explanations, like, oh, it was just a passing storm, you know, or maybe it was the eye of the cyclone, as it, as it were, and so there's, you know, it just all happened, it was just all coincidence. It, it, it's as if some people don't want to believe that God has any power. What kind of God do you want to believe in if you don't want to believe that God has any power? They don't want to believe that in a God who's going to upset their version of the natural order. You know, I don't have any trouble at all believing in these miracles. The biggest miracle and the only miracle needed was the incarnation of God. The, the biggest miracle is that God lowered himself to be born to live as a human. So if Jesus is indeed God, then why can't the wind be told to stop and it stops? If Jesus is indeed God, then why can't he tell the waves to be still and a great calm comes upon the lake? It all makes perfect sense because that's what God can do. That's the very nature of God. And if Jesus is God, then why can't he say today to the dead, live and they rise? Why can't he say to the cancer, be gone and it disappears? Why can't he say to the drought, break and it rains? Why can't he say to the depression, you have no hold and the joy of the Lord takes its place? Why can't he say to the sinner, your sins are forgiven and the burden is lifted? And why can't he say to the sick, be healed and health returns? It all makes perfect sense. If Jesus is God, and I believe that he is, this is all well within his power to do. But it also makes perfect sense that if Jesus is God, and I am not God, his will shall be done, not mine. And because God is so much above me, I don't even need to understand his will. I just need to trust his will. And if I have faith, if I have trust in God's will, I'm going to seek his will and I'm going to pray for his will to be done even if I don't understand his will, and even if his will is actually going to be some tough times for me. 
And this is where faith comes into it. How big is our faith? How big's your faith? How big's my faith? Is our faith big enough to trust God in the storms and the tempests of life, knowing that his will may even be for us to lose our lives? Is your faith big enough for that? You see, God being God, if he has the right to say to the dead, live, and they rise, he also has the right to say to the living, you're going to die. But don't be afraid, because I am with you, even in death. And on the day of the resurrection, you are going to live again. You're going to be raised to eternal life. And if he has the right to say to the cancer, be gone, and it disappears, he also has the right to say to the healthy, in sickness, you will suffer. And in this time of suffering, you are going to bring me worship and glory like you never have before. And don't be afraid because I am with you. You will be raised to a new body a body that will never be sick and never be diseased. And if he has the right to say to the drought, break and it rains, he also has the right to say to the prosperous, I am sending drought and poverty and ruin upon the land. And in this time, you're going to learn to trust in me to provide for you daily. You've had more than you need but I'm going to give you just what you need for each day. And in this time, you will feed the hungry and you will have compassion on those who have nothing and you will give, bring me praise in your poverty. But don't be afraid because I'm with you and you will be storing up riches in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. How big is your faith? There's a lot that we can learn about faith here. That the disciples, they must have had some level of faith because when they realised that their lives were in peril, there was nothing that the professional fishermen were going to be able to do with them out there on the water, they went straight to Jesus. Master, Master, we are perishing. And that's often what we do, isn't it? We're just doing our thing and we know that Jesus is with us. But it's only when the disaster strikes and it's only when we're at our wit's end when we realise the peril that we're in, that in desperation we call out to God, help. And God being God, he can reach out and save us. We know that, don't we? Our, our faith is big enough for that, is it not? I'm looking for a response. Yes. Our faith is big enough to know that God is powerful enough to overcome the physical realm. He is powerful enough to preserve and even to enhance our physical lives. And he's powerful enough to make things more pleasant when things are tough. Our faith is big enough for that, is it? Yes. Well, here comes the sarcastic, and I'm going to say sarcastic, just in case you don't pick up on the inflection of my voice here. Well, congratulations. That comes under the category of little faith, little faith. 
Because that's exactly the sort of faith that the disciples demonstrated. And what did Jesus say? Where's your faith? Now, those who consider themselves to be the super spiritual might say, well, if they had faith, then they would have rebuked the wind and the waves themselves because our words have power. Right? You've probably heard that sort of stuff. Now, I don't think that's what Jesus was getting at. Because there was times when, when Jesus would say to the disciples, well, you know what, you should have done this differently. And he'd tell them, such as when they couldn't drive the demon out of that boy. And um, the parents bring the boy to Jesus and say, look, your disciples had a go at this and they're no good at it. Now, can you fix it up, please? And, and he does. And then he tells the disciples later on, you know, that kind only comes out with prayer and fasting. But here Jesus didn't tell his disciples, well, you should have rebuked the wind and waves yourselves. All he said is, where's your faith? Now that causes us to wonder, what should they have had faith in? Well, I think they should have had faith in three things. Firstly, they should have had faith that Jesus was with them. As disciples of Jesus, God is with us through every circumstance in life. Through storm, through peril, in times of danger, through sickness, through persecution, through suffering, God is with us. Have faith, have trust, and we can experience peace in the storm. Even while we're going through the storm, we can have peace because we know that God is with us. The second thing that they should have had faith in is the word of God. They got into the boat and Jesus said, let us go across to the other side of the lake. Now, if the Son of God says to you, we're going across to the other side of the lake, what do you think is going to happen? We're going across to the other side of the lake. Now, does that mean that we might happen to sink and drown halfway across that lake? No, because the Son of God has already told us what? That we're going across the lake. To not believe the word of God is a lack of faith. To be afraid we're going to sink and drown is faithlessness because Jesus has already said, we're going across to the other side of the lake. So have faith in the word of God. But make sure it is the word of God that you're having faith in. See, the trouble sets in when, when we ourselves start putting words into God's mouth. And um, I think that, I see that happening in, in two different ways. One way is when we're wanting God's word to say something, and so we, we search the scriptures, and we just find something that, oh, you know what, these words are actually saying what I want God to say about this. But God isn't talking about this, God's talking about that. But we claim those words, that's the word of God. God's promised this for me and this is going to happen. That's not the right way to use God's word. God hasn't said it. Don't trust in his word in that way. And the other way is we might feel that God is saying something to us personally, but it wasn't God at all. It might be our own hopes. It might be our own dreams, our own desires. And we must not have faith in what we think or in what we feel 
God should do. We have faith in the word of God. The word of God is what we can trust in. Even though sometimes the word of God will promise us things that we don't want. God's word promises us blessing, sure enough. But you realise, don't you, God's word also promises us things like persecutions, sufferings, homelessness, poverty. Not, not all of these things will be encountered by all Christians, but, but those who live godly lives will endure many of these things. God's word has told us that, and we can trust his word in that. And so the third thing that disciples should have faith in is the providence of God. God knows before we ask him what we need. He knows better than what we do. And God is good. Sometimes my will is not God's will, but in faith we trust that God's will is best. Sometimes the Lord doesn't take the storm away. And in that case, we endure the storm, knowing that Christ is with us through the storm. And if as God has said that he's going to get us across to the other side of the lake, across to the other side of the lake, he will get us, even if it's going through the storm the whole way. And we can have peace with that. Because there's no greater peace than in the midst of the storm to know that God is with us in every circumstance. And we can trust in the word of God. And we can trust in the goodness of God. And we can trust in the providence of God. God's will, even if it's tough for us now, is always best. So, that's the main lesson of today's Bible reading. But I'm not going to stop just yet. Um, and the reason I'm not going to stop just yet is because there's something else we need to talk about. It's not the elephant in the room, it's the elephant in the world at the moment. Um, I think the, the only positive that I had out of the whole COVID pandemic thing was that for a while the media could concentrate on a different type of panic and we didn't have to hear about climate change for about a year or more. In our nation and, and in the richer parts of the global community, there is an excessive human arrogance that needs to be addressed. And I believe today is the day to do it. The Lord Jesus Christ has power over all things. He has power over life and death. He has power over sickness and disease. He has power of the spirit world, and today we've been reminded that he's the one who has power of the wind and the waves. He has power of the physical world and power over the spiritual world. And that's why disciples of Jesus do not fear the climate change chorus of doom. Now, we, we don't even need to argue if the climate is changing, because that's not the point. We know who controls the weather. We know who controls the climate. 
These are things that are in God's hands. And I'm very glad about that. It is the pinnacle of human arrogance to believe that we humans have an ability to control and alter the weather. And as I see the governments of the world responding to what they claim to be what they call the biggest moral challenge of our time, I go, seriously? We murder millions of unborn babies every year and you're telling us that us trying to change the climate is the biggest moral challenge of our time? And as I see the fear in children um, who are being told by the godless that if we don't act, then the weather and the world, the world's going to be doomed. I might get a little bit mad, but I'm deeply saddened, deeply saddened to see children worrying about something that isn't in our hands. The global warming climate change bandwagons, it's pretty much a religion. And it's a religion which is devoid of God. And it has to be the greatest idolatry there is. See, idolatry is essentially creating a God of our own design. And so years ago, they would have gotten a block of wood and carved out of that an image to become their God of the weather. And they would yield to that God and sacrifice their goods to that God. And they would pray to that block of wood, give us a good season, O great God of my, my great God of the weather. And that, that's absurd, isn't it? It would be absurd for us to, to do that. And the reason that idolatry is so repugnant to God is because it fails to recognise that Yahweh is the God who is in control. There is no other God. It is Yahweh who is in control. And the greatest idolatry is for humankind to elevate themselves to the place of God and to claim we control the weather. It is silly. It is faithless to believe that humans can change the weather. It's just as silly to believe that a human can do it and that a human is in control. It's just as silly to believe that as what it is to believe a block of wood is in control. Who is in control of the weather? God is. And yet there is a, a whole generation out there who are terrified in, in a whole heap of stuff. Things like sea, the rising of sea levels. When God spoke to Job about his power and authority, he said in Job chapter 38, Who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed the limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no further. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. Who's in control of sea levels? God is. Ah, the fear. But it is fear that disciples of Jesus should never have. It's no surprise that the godless are afraid. 
because they don't have faith in the goodness of God. And they don't have faith in the power of God. And they don't have faith in his word and that, that he will see us through to the end. And for them, God is not with them in the way that he is with believers. In Jeremiah chapter 5, God says, Do you not fear me, declares Yahweh? Do you not tremble before me? I place the sand as a boundary for the sea, a perpetual barrier that it cannot cross. Though the waves toss, they cannot prevail. Though they roar, they cannot pass over it. But this people has a stubborn and rebellious heart. They've turned aside and gone away. They do not say in their hearts, let us fear our Yahweh, our God, who gives the rain in its season, the autumn rain and the spring rain, and keeps up for us the weeks appointed for the harvest. Your iniquities have turned these away, and your sins have kept good from you. That, that was the word that, that God spoke to Israel. But there's also a similar word for our generation. In the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ, we're given an image of, of when the judgment of God does come upon this world. And there's sickness and disease, there's pestilence, there's hail, fire, poisoned water, natural disasters, weather disasters. Sounds a bit like listening to ABC, doesn't it? And then in Revelation chapter 9, it says, The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of the hands, nor give up worshipping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. What's the purpose of all of these natural and spiritual upheavals? It's to get people to turn to God and repent. Do they? No. What do they do? They consume themselves with idolatry. And the judgment of God continues in Revelation chapter 16. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat. There's going to be global warming, all right. The Bible's pretty clear on that. There will be. And they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. We shouldn't be surprised that people of the world are terrified with the preaching of the climate doomsday priesthood because that's what idolatry does. It claims for itself power over things that only belongs to God. But as a people of faith, we stand apart. We don't even need to try and disprove climate change because 
whether the climate is changing or not, that's not the point. Whether the weather events are becoming more severe or not, that's not the point either. The point for us is we know that the weather is God's domain. And we have faith in God, don't we? We know that God's with us in every circumstance. We know that we can trust in the word of God. We know that we can trust in the providence of God, God's will, even if it's, even if it's tough for us now. God's will is always best. And we can trust in the goodness of God. And so as Christians, we pray, come Lord Jesus, your kingdom come. And we proclaim the goodness of God. And we proclaim the power of God. And we proclaim the the providence of God. And we preach, repent of idolatry. Repent of making God in our own image. Recognise that God is the one who holds the power over all things. And so repent of putting ourselves in the place of God and give God glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we worship you. You are the God of all power, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. We thank you for the gift of faith. We thank you that you are with us through every storm, through every trial. You're with us in sickness and in health. You're with us in life and in death. And we thank you that we need have no fear. Lord, we repent of when we have not trusted you. For you are all powerful. You're all loving. You are indeed good. And so, Lord, we entrust our whole lives to you. Fill us with peace in the midst of whatever the world would throw at us, always trusting that you'll get us through to the other side. Amen.